You're listening to the first in a series of podcasts entitled Remember and Resist, Borders, Solidarity and the Essex 39. This podcast was produced by a group of people who came together in October 2019 after the deaths of 39 Vietnamese migrants whose bodies were found in the back of a lorry trying to get into the UK. We're organising around issues of border violence facing East and Southeast Asian migrant communities and we stand in resistance to the hostile environment currently being implemented in the UK. Through events in London over the past few months, and with help from other community groups and platforms like Lesbians and Gays Support the Migrants and Eastern Margins, we've fundraised over US dollars for the families of the Essex 39. In consideration of our skills and connections, we're also translating resources from English into Vietnamese and Chinese on migrants' rights and how to navigate the very complex and hostile environment they face. If you'd like more information on the work we're doing, or to get involved, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can email us at rememberthesex39 at protonmail.com. This first podcast is from the first panel discussion during our day event in February, where we brought together community organisers, researchers, union representatives, grassroots activists and people working in NGOs to talk about issues surrounding borders, state violence and how to resist and act in solidarity with those most directly affected. A huge thank you to Chad and Rosa at Rainbow Collective for recording the event and the Outside Project for hosting us. In this episode, Jun Pang chairs a panel with community organiser Jabez Lam and researchers Dr Tina Ma and Dr Tamsin Barber. Jun Pang is a migration researcher and law student. She is a co-founder of DICON, a creative and political platform for women, non-binary and all trans people in the Southeast and East Asian diaspora. She is also a member of Lao Sen, a collective of writers, activists and artists sharing decolonial and left perspectives on Hong Kong. Thanks everyone for coming. Um, so we're going to have a panel um, about the migration histories of Southeast Asian and East Asian communities to the UK. Um, so I'm just going to try and situate this and why we decided to put this as our first panel. Um, so this panel, um, the reason we wanted to hold a panel about this particular aspect of the history is because we believe that in a world where People's stories are so often erased or subsumed by the interests of nation states or capital. It's really important to keep this alive and hence uh, the title of our event, Remember and Resist. Um, The migration stories of people from East Asia and Southeast Asia and many other places are often situated in a broad narrative of economic migration. Um, That is migration in search of a better life. Um, This kind of migration is usually seen as inferior to other forms because Um, of the assumption that people could pull themselves up by their bootstraps in their own home countries. Economic migrants, it's often said, are not real refugees and do not deserve entry into the global north in this hierarchy of migration. On the other hand, um, Southeast and East Asian migrants are sometimes slotted into the category of victims of smuggling or trafficking. And we saw this um, very soon after the uh, news broke of the deaths um, in Essex. But in reality, and hopefully in today's panel, um, we'll find that actually migration is really complex and never simply an individual choice or a matter of only force and coercion. Um, the decision to move or stay is always conditioned by social, economic, and political structures um, in a world where all of these histories inter- interact and intersect to make 
life in some places more bearable and livable than in others. And without an understanding of what conditions make a better life possible in one place versus another, and the enduring effects of economic exploitation, imperialism, and capitalism on people's lives all around the world, we can't achieve true understanding or offer meaningful solidarity. So to start off our conversation for the day, um, we'll be hearing from Javis Lam, uh, Tina Ma, and Tamsin Barber. So I'll just do a quick intro. Um, Javis is an activist on Chinese community affairs. He established a number of Ch Chinese community centers in London, and he'll be sharing his experience of supporting the victims' families following the Dover 58 and Morecambe Bay and other related um, tragedies. Um, Dr. Tina Ma is a lecturer in criminology at De Montfort University in Leicester. Her main in research interests center around issues of migration and crime control. And at the moment, uh, Tina is working on subjects of human trafficking and organized immigration crime from China in the UK. Finally, um, Dr. Tamsin Barber is senior lecturer in sociology at Oxford Brookes University. Her research interests are race, ethnicity, youth, and migration with a focus on exclusion, inclusion, belonging, and identity formation among the UK, Vietnamese, and East, East and Southeast Asian category. So we're really excited to hear from all of them. Um, can start with Javis. Hi. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me here. Uh, I was asked to talk about the experience on our organization on the support in Dover 58 and Morgan Bay after the tragedy. Uh, in the late evening of the 18th of June 2000, uh, 60 bodies were found at the back of the lorry in Dover with two survivors. And uh, soon after that, I worked with a group of activists uh, to uh, try to support the the victims and victim families. And we very soon we find ourselves engaged in two fronts of battlefield. The first, the first field is on the battle of narrative. Then the other, uh, in supporting the victims and the victim family, uh, it turned out to be also uh, uh, minded with, uh, with, 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 with uh, difficulties and have to battle all the way. Let me talk about the battle of narrative first. Immediately after the, the, the tragedy, uh, the first interview by the then Home Secretary Gesture uh, was that these are illegal immigrants from China. And as soon as he said that, there were reactions from the Chinese embassy saying that they are not from China, they may be, they may be Malaysian, they may be Vietnamese. Uh, and uh, a few weeks later, uh, the two survivors uh, uh, we uh, uh, have regained the consciousness and start to give st statement, and said all sixty of them were came from China, and eventually that led to Chinese Chinese embassy concede that these are Chinese. At the time, the main narrative from the Home Office and the uh, uh, Home Secretary and Shadow Home Secretary are quite the same. Uh, both of them are emphasis on the illegal entrance emphasis on that the evil trade of, the, of, of trafficking. Uh, the Chinese government uh, also reflect the same narrative. Uh, what they're saying is that they were illegal immigrants, right, and the evil trade of, um, of, of, of trafficking. However, uh, for the Refugees Council, their narrative is that the immigration system here becomes so tough, so difficult, that people suffer from persecution were unable to come to this country in a, in a legal way. 
and they are being forced to take such such route, and uh, and and call for relaxation on the immigration to allow people who suffer persecution able to able to arrive to this country. At the time, I was working with an organization called Minchun, which is an anti-racist organization uh, in the Chinese community. Uh, Minchun challenged the Home, Home Secretary's uh, 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 version that these are illegal immigrants. Simply, these people, they haven't taken a single statement. Uh, these people are dead, and the two, the, the, the two survivors were unconscious. How, can, how do you know that they are not asylum seekers? At the time, at the Home Office, there's an ethnic minority committee uh, um, composed of representatives from different communities in the country. And after the Dover 58, they had a meeting uh, to discuss, discuss about this. All the representatives from other communities expressed their condolence and, uh, and sadness about uh, the, the, the tragedy, except one. That is the Chinese community representative, right? And uh, uh, he, he said that um, there's no political persecution in China. Uh, China is experiencing a double-digit uh, economic growth, uh, and, uh, and there's, uh, there's no reason for leave, uh, leave China. Well, the only reason they want to uh, they end up with this situation because they believe that London is paved with gold. They are greedy people. They deserve what they got. Yasmin Alabai Brown was one of the representatives in that committee. She was so angered by this comment and felt, how can Chinese be so cold-blooded to their own people? Uh, and in the end, Yasmin uh, 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 teamed up with uh, Renaissance Redgrave, uh, Corinne Redgrave, to organize a, uh, a memorial for the Dover 58, outside number 10. This Chinese community leader have condemned the victims breaking the immigration law. They advocate to tighten the immigration system to stop economic migrants abusing the asylum, uh, asylum seeker, uh, the asylum system. When Min Chuan organized uh, a, a, a memorial service and commemorate on the first year anniversary, this Chinese community leader took out an advertisement that condemned the commemoration. Uh, and that is the battle of narrative that we have, uh, we have to fight in situation of a tragedy in compared to tragedy not involving the ethnic minority. You look at the Hilborough, look at the Mashley, Mashley uh, tragedy, similar loss of many lives. The community respond in sympathy and support. Uh, so that's so uh, that the complexity uh, that we enter into. The position of Min Chen, uh, and, uh, and, and, and my colleagues at the time, huh, is that uh, this death is an avoidable death. Uh, it is because the immigration system that pushed them in such, in such, taking such a route. The worst of all is that from the trial, we learned that the lorry was actually under surveillance from the British and, uh, and, 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 uh, and uh, 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 Holland government right, to trace the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, trace the route to try to so-called uh, uh, break, uh, uh, find the head of this trafficking uh, gang. Yet, despite it was uh, under surveillance, they were failed to stop the death from happening. Uh, so that just shows that 
the root of the problem uh, is lie with the authority, uh, complete disregard of the life of, 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 of the people in this, in, this, in this story. Then the second trend is about supporting the victim families. What, what are the areas that we need to support? Well, the very first thing we need to identify their bodies, uh, to give them a respectable burial, or return their body to family, demand for compensation, and quest for justice. These are the tasks we set ourselves. And in identify, identifying the body, uh, the Kent police uh, immediately after discovering the body appealed for the community to come and help them. Many people came forward, and that's, uh, but the problem is that uh, the, the, the Kent police give a form uh, for everyone who tried to help to complete. The form asked their, their, the, 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 the caller's identity, their immigration status, how do they know these people were on, were on board of, the, uh, of, of this story? When did they know about it? Uh, this immediately put off everybody. People thought that, I'm trying to help. Well, why am I being questioned? Why am I even being questioned? They, were being, uh, they, they make you feel that they were suspect or uh, accomplice. In the end, uh, it took uh, Min Chen two weeks to negotiate with the police to agree a process that we become the screening center as the first stage screening to the age between the, 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 the potential victim family and the police. Uh, and, after, uh, and, and after the first stage potential identification, then arrange for the, for the victim family to, to identify the body. And through that process, we assist two families, possibly ident identify their family. Until September, uh, from the work in, in investigating in, in, in this country, the police only find, identify four bodies. In July, they approached the Chinese government, want to uh, go to go to China, uh, look for the, the victim's family. It was refused the Chinese, uh, Chinese government. It required an intervention from the foreign office to let them go uh, with the condition they only work on identification. They eventually went in, in September and identified all 50 bodies. After the body were, were, were identified, we called the camp police on behalf of our client, want them to release the body for the burial. We were told that we are waiting for decision from above. We don't know what that means. After weeks of pondering, uh, we, with a group of Chinese organizations in London, formed a, the, uh, 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 the 50 coordinating committee uh, with the aim to uh, help getting the body back home for burial. And in the end, uh, we were told that it's because there were debates on who to pay for the cost of the, of the transportation. And uh, it took another three months before the body was sent home. And uh, when it was sent home, the Chinese government um, two informed the families two hours in advance and specifically told them that no, uh, you are lot, none of you are allowed to go into uh, the airport. When the body uh, uh, were released to you, you have to either cremate or bury within eight hours. Uh, and it was done in such a, such a, a rush. And after the burial, uh, then the question of compensation. Uh, if there is a scheme called the criminal, uh, criminal injury, in, injury compensation uh, scheme 
whereby the victim of violent crime uh, uh, can get compensation. Two Manchester um, solicitors assist the, the families uh, to apply for criminal uh, compensation. And that uh, after 18 months, right, they were not successful. Uh, the reason is that the criminal, uh, crim criminal injury compensation board said that the, all the victims are party to the, the crime. So they are not entitled to criminal compensation. In the end, uh, uh, I'm not going to announce where the source, but the Manchester Police were very innovative and they managed to get some compensation for the family, a small amount. Uh, I think I have covered, covered the, 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 uh, quite fully about the Dover 58, but I don't think we ha I have time to go into about Morgan Bay and, uh, and the acquisition. All I would say is that it went through quite similar process, uh, that there is the same battle of liberty from the very same people, forwarded the same, the same argument, nothing new, quite boring. The only interesting is that the Chinese government become uh, a bit cleverer. Right, the, uh, both the police and the Chinese embassy are less confrontational. On the day of the uh, uh, of the of the the, the Morgan Bay tragedy, there was a 15th day of the Lunar New Year, which is in the Lunar New Year is the Chinese Valentine Day. And what the Chinese government learned is they immediately acknowledged they all are Chinese, and then they put on their website saying that China's economic growth uh, has now a lot of wealthy citizens. They go on to the world to look, uh, expand their experience and that uh, on the Chinese Valentine Day, a group of Chinese tourists went to the seaside and worshiped the moon and got drowned. So a gentle reminder for everyone who a tourist go to a foreign place in unfamiliar circumstances, uh, please check the time. Uh, time. And that is the only lesson that the Chinese government learned. And the other thing I would say about the Morgan Bay is that uh, uh, after that, uh, um, it took seven months for the body to, to return home. Chinese government and British police are in cooperation. And uh, the community led by Xiao Hongpei took six years raised more than 300,000 pounds for the victim's family to clear their debt because when they die, their debt with the state had fall onto the family. I think I stopped here uh, and uh, I would end the discussion later. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Jabez, and for the reminder that like the logics that undergird the hostile environment are global and that the people who suffer the most under this, these logics are ultimately not nations or states, but like individual people um, operating within their circumstances. We'll now hear from Dr. Tina Ma. Um, thank you very much for having me here today. Thank you for the um, um, very informative and richful information about um, Dovo Bay, Dovo cases. And um, thank you, June. Um, just a bit, um, don't really. Um, um, just a bit clarification, the background of my research expertise and interest is about migration crime. Um, so I'm, my job is nothing, my research is nothing about um, offering objective scientific 
evidence of showing why migration or migrants are more likely to commit crimes or about um, using criminological theories to apologizing for, for those people, why they are overrepresented in prison populations. Uh, my research is mostly looking to the structure and institutional uh, bias discrimination about why those migrants are being uh, uh, more likely to get profiled, stopped and searched, uh, arrested, persecuted and end up in prison and being further labelled in their life afterwards. Um, so if we talk about hostile society, um, I think there's the first thing we think is by since when migration and crime has always been talked together, right? They've been using crime to crime control mechanism to control mo mobility or using mobile control mobility control to to control crime um but yeah it's just like there's two things the, the underlying logic the agenda the discourse say they they um the public view they being overrepresented in media uh, by the home office by the parliament um so that's 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 what i mean by it's just another scapegoating of take the blame of the incapable government to address this deteriorated uh, society by scapegoating certain group of the population here. So in this talk, um, I will firstly identify some major critical challenges faced by the Chinese, the East Asian and South Asian Asian women survivors of domestic violence. And yes, <laughs> in this panel, I will Sorry, I just have a tendency of really. Uh, I will first identify the major um, critical challenges faced by the Chinese, the East Asian and Southeast Asian uh, women survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking, modern slavery in England today, um, especially under the current hostile uh, immigration policy. And then um, I'm going to move to um, discuss how these challenges raised critical questions and yet no inquiries has been made to those problems. Um, and lastly, I'm going to delineate about how we, if I may quote from, um, uh, if I may quote the Eastern margins where Taser has been used in the saying like, we, um, are we Chinese here or not? We always been um, tarred with the same brush and facing the similar um, stereotypes and facing the similar targets and hostility. Sometimes the hostility even dressed itself as a hospitality. I mean, we're all being in that situation, so we know that. So how can we respond to those agendas, the labors, the categories, the discourse, the perspectives, and the political wills framed, targeted, and pinpointed at us? And how can we resist to the R-ring process? Um, to form solidarity and generate meaningful uh, resistance which are embedded in this uh, visible and invisible hostilities, the conscious and unconscious racism. I mean, that's when people say unconscious racism, you don't know what they're actually referring to. And the discrimination, the bias at all levels, um, individual, institutional and structural. So firstly, so based on my experience of working at one of the biggest national charity for uh, supporting women survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking. I will share some experience about how the de domestic violence rule and the national referral mechanism process, why they are not protect the vulnerable, but uh, to control migration. 
So it is nothing new that immigrant women are especially vulnerable to various types of violence behind the closed door. We all know that. For example, the financial abuse such as deprivation of food and clothing that are way more common among migrant women who uh, might lack both knowledge about government or Lawrence. I mean, I would like to say welfare policy, but I'm skeptical of using that word today. Um, especially under the current form of universal credit system. We both know it's nothing but, it's anything but universal. And it's kept more people in need outside the door by creating various hurdles and making the basic allurance inaccessible. So the domestic violence rule, I don't know how much of you uh, know about that. It's, um, um, it's a settlement scheme provided to those who stay as who were given permissions to stay as partners of a British citizen um, in this country, and if the relationships ended because of domestic violence, they can apply to settle in the UK based on the ground of they being identified as a victim of domestic violence by the Home Office. There are two quite evident problems here. Firstly, it does not protect non-marital relationship. So whenever how long, how much other evidence support the relationship exists and lasts, if it's fiancé, engagement, boyfriend, girlfriend, or proposed super uh, partners, they are not eligible because of the relationship still being considered as a temporary one, and they should not expect, should not have any expectation of remaining in the UK if that comes to an end. They have to leave immediately, even though they have been abused in this relationship. So secondly, the applicants must establish that the relationship, there were three evidence the Home Office required to apply being a victim of DV for that ground is first, with their partner was subsisting at the start of the last grant of leave as a partner. So the marriage has subsisting. So they have to live together, they have to prove they're having um, marriage life, um, they're having sex, basically that's what's required. They have to require, they have fulfilling all the requirements of a marriage life. And the, the marriage is, <laughs> is broke down during the last period of the leave and is broke down because of domestic violence. So I'll just show you some very simple uh, uh, evidence of why it is so unfair. So the Home Office gave a table of evidence um, about how they can prove uh, how can they apply on the grounds of domestic violence. Criminal conviction, that is a conclusive evidence. Police caution, conclusive evidence. Final order in civil court, multi-agency. Uh, Myrak, I don't know how many people know. So it have to be uh, like a high risk case by the police. So it's almost like a um, this higher standard of violence has to be identified. They have to prove they have caught the police. They have to prove they go to the court and all they have to prove they have fulfilled all these requirements in order to apply to settle in the UK if they wanted to apply on that ground. Whereas the, the, the place I worked for, we use this so-called power view to identify victims of uh, domestic violence. So this cl clearly you can here see a disparity about the DV victim uh, being identified 
where they have a migration status and those who are uh, a local white British woman. So here they say controlling what she does, who she see or talks to, or like a gaslighting. So now uh, the Home Office has put a lot of money for tax abuse, financial abuse, emotional abuse, and all sorts of abuse being considered as domestic abuse and domestic violence. Whereas comes to migration and migrant women, they still come into criminal convictions, police arrest. So that's why when these women come to the stage where they have found like the marriage, they couldn't really um, bear any abu further abusive in that marriage. There are two ways ahead of them. When they go to the solicitor and trying to apply for the grant of the the victim of DV, what they face is always a dilemma of there are either stay in the marriage, bearing all they bear at the moment, and after that five years, they may have a looming, like very looming, um, scare hope of they can stay here. I mean, after all the suffering, or they go to the DV room, which highly likely they wouldn't be granted because who gonna call the police when they know probably next day they're gonna have to leave the country and go back. So to conclude what I would say here, do they realize the time has been passed so fast? Is as when it comes to the uh, national charities, those um, the most reason is because the Home Office stopped funding any ethnicity based charities in this country. That's why the national uh, generic charities take the responsibility to support the uh, survivors, uh, Chinese, East Asian and Southeast Asian. And the major uh, critic here I want to make is they're always criticizing the women if they do not know about domestic violence. Like they never heard about the word domestic violence. In this country, we have human rights. Like women have the right to leave the relationship if they're not happy or if they feel it's not fulfilling. So it's almost like the way those national charities are quite patronizing in the way they're liberating these women. So on the one hand, they put a label on these women as submissive Asian women, like a tiny, Wrong, fragile. On the other hand, they say, "Are we going to tell you uh, we have the domestic violence laws and we have human rights and we have equal gender rights in this country?" So that's why um, the, the end of I would say it doesn't matter if the women never heard about the word domestic violence, modern modern day slavery, or human rights. So what? Because what do they mean when they talk about domestic violence? They have so many double standards here, right? And on the standards given by the Home Office, it's nothing about domestic violence. That is crime. And they call it the only ground they can apply for settling based on domestic violence. So, so the last thing I want to say, one thing we can resist about this, this double standard, this labeling, um, and delabeling here is beyond, we should see these survivors beyond their ethnicity bearing stereotypes because how much they know about Asian culture and more to ask what exactly it is. So, I mean, let us define our own culture and, and just because we define our own culture. Um, so, we don't need any revelation here. What we need is a rectification. Um, 
So what the those national charities and home office really need to do is unlearn what they have never known and treated all survivors as individual human beings beyond any culture, stereotype, or ethnicity, etc. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, Tina, for kind of the idea of labeling and delabeling, I think, complements what Jabez was saying about how people are caught between many different logics. And I also think it was really, your talk was really good in dispelling this illusion that after migration, your life is necessarily better because ultimately the logics of patriarchal, racialized, and gendered violence are continuous. Um, so yeah, um, now we'll hear from Dr. Tamsin Barber. Great. Um, thanks very much. Thanks um, for very much for inviting me, and it's really nice. I um, feel very uh, so privileged to be here today. Um, so today I'm going to um, talk to you uh, about some research that um, I've been doing with uh, two Vietnamese colleagues, um, which involve Vietnamese people migrating to the UK. Um, my research, previous prior to this project and through this project, has been very much focused on sort of life experiences, um, perceptions, the way in which uh, people navigate particular constraints. Um, so I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk briefly about my, th this research, and then after that I want to discuss how this experience fits within broader narratives around trafficking, around modern slavery, and neoliberal capitalist economy, um, and reflecting back on the, the deaths of the 39 Vietnamese people in the Essex Lorry. Um, so unfortunately my Vietnamese colleagues couldn't be here today. Um, Hai Nguyen, who, who's based at King's College London, um, she's not in the UK at the moment, and my other colleague um, Phuc Nguyen, who, they're not related, um, who works in Trung Vuong University in northern Vietnam. So we've um, been involved in two projects and we've got another project starting this year. Um, the first project in 2016 um, looked at discussions taking place uh, between prospective and current mi Vietnamese migrants on open, pu publicly open internet forums. Um, and the second project um, what involved a trip to Vietnam where we held expert workshops and spoke to local researchers and previous migrants. Um, about their experiences of migration and the, the culture of migration in Vietnam. So just, um, you know, firstly, just to sort of flag up that probably most of you will be aware of the press coverage um, on sort of anti-trafficking and anti-slavery, the NGO narratives around Vietnamese migrants in the UK, where they're often discussed and depicted as uh, sort of vulnerable victims of modern slavery um, and exploitation. Um, those are the dominant narratives. Um, or sometimes they're depicted as illegal migrants who are maybe ringleaders of gangs um, who are very much criminalized. So we see these sort of, you know, the labeling um, of Vietnamese migrants as being either passive victims in need of saving um, or um, these illegal criminals, on the other hand, who need to be prosecuted by um, the legal system. So in our research on, the, I'm focusing on the open chat rooms mainly, um, we looked at over 2,000 sort of discussion threads um, by um, Vietnamese people on um, particular websites. And our findings um, on, on these discussions were, um, we weren't we were kind of unexpected to, to begin with. Um, and generally what they did was they sort of um, rejected these polarized narratives about Vietnamese victims of modern slavery. So I'm gonna sort of run through some of what we found on the websites before contextualizing this in terms of the broader debates, thinking about what it tells us. 
Um, so some key findings was that um, for for the majority of the contributors to these websites coming to, and this is, let's think, you know, this is 2,000 people, 2,000 sort of conversations, if you like, um, in, in, you know, this is a small, um, a small proportion um, of the migrants, obviously, in the UK and coming to the UK. Um, so there's lots of caveats around this data, um, but it's illustrative rather than sort of um, some solid data that we can take away and apply to everyone, but it sh shows something different. So that coming to the UK for most of the contributors um, was largely an active choice. Um, people spoke generally on these chat rooms very frankly about their awareness of the risks and the hardships that they were going to be likely to be facing when coming to the UK. Um, and largely they were prepared to do this. Um, and I'm going to unpack this a bit more um, later on. Um, the advice, there was a lot of sharing of advice between prospective migrants and migrants already here in the UK and migrants who returned back to Vietnam um, about what the process involved and what, what can be done to sort of mitigate some of the experiences. We found that there were multiple reasons for people making the journey. Um, so this ranged from, of course, economic reasons, wanting to kind of find a better life, improve the life of their families and communities back in Vietnam. Um, as well as environmental, environmental degradation, family reasons, um, but also individual motivations, um, seeking um, people talking about seeking, wanting to seek a better education, personal freedom, adventure and travel that they see, you know, lots of people around the world traveling, coming to Vietnam, they were interested in this too. Now, this is not to say that these migrants were opportunists and just out there, you know, having, you know, just trying their luck. I think what I'm trying to say here that um, there were multiple reasons many, you know, one individual might have for migrating. Um, these people, importantly, are human beings. Um, there are economic imperatives, but there are also a range of other aspects of their lives that they might want to be fulfilling through this journey. Um, so advice shared on the websites often related to realising life goals, how one might get an education whilst working in the UK, um, how one might safely return to Vietnam, or one might stay in the UK, how one might raise a family in the UK if one has a family. About 200, only 231 posts were about how to find work in the UK, which nail shops would hire undocumented workers, how much um, one could earn, um, how it's possible to earn money through the cannabis uh, industry if you were willing to take high risks to try and earn money more quickly, how this could be done. However, importantly, the majority of the inquiry, so 1,564, related to sharing advice on how to negotiate or, su or survive um, the UK immigration system, okay? Um, how to remain in the UK until migrants were ready and prepared to return back to Vietnam rather than being kind of yanked out and deported back by the immigration um, uh, officials. So in these discussions, the the, the contributors um, certainly sort of proved that they were not simply, you know, passive victims um, who often portrayed through the media. You know, you already mentioned sort of orientalizing labels that are applied to East and Southeast Asian groups, you know, as sort of passive, as in need of saving, as sort of infantile and so forth. Um, this is not the story that we saw. Um, for some of the, these um, people, contri contributors, this involved claiming that they were younger than they actually were, they were under 18, um, in order to avoid being deported or access social support protection, legal protection or rights in the UK. Um, so this is not to say, I'm not trying to say here that these people are devious by claiming they're under 18. What I'm trying to say is that this is the only route for them to claim any protection. Um, under this very restrictive immigration routine uh, regime in the UK. 
Also, this links to the age presumption clause in the Modern Slavery Act, which says that, thanks, which says that if, um, if in doubt, the officials, um, if in doubt of someone's age, they should presume that someone is under 18. Um, again, or, sort of Orientalist sort of eyes, Western Orientalist eyes of, of Vietnamese young people often view these people as looking and being younger than they actually are. Um, so this was one route in which they could take to try and protect themselves. Um, and there were other, other aspects too. Um, but I'm going to move on a bit. Um, so, um, um, so, so yeah, not, I mean, I think just not every, what I want to say was not everyone wanted to, the majority of them didn't want to remain in the UK indefinitely, but what they did want was to have some control over how they returned back to Vietnam. Returning to Vietnam before the, the right amount of money, the sufficient amount of money could be earned and sent back could have very negative repercussions um, on them and their families when they return, shame, stigma, and of course, debt to smugglers. Um, and this is why um, the re rescue raids that we've been seeing on nail shops is particularly problematic. Um, the, the majority of the Vietnamese migrants that we encountered did not want to be saved by British authorities um, because to the contrary, being saved by the British authorities would worsen their situation. Um, if they were returned back to Vietnam, they might be identified as a Viet Tan follower plotting to overthrow the Vietnamese government, which would have a big implication for them on their return. Um, so this is not in their benefit to be rescued by, by, the, Vietnam, by the UK authorities. Lastly, um, what was distinctive was that none of the discussions referred to experiences of trafficking or immigration involving coercion or deception. Um, now, we don't know enough about, about this, um, but we didn't see any evidence of people talking about experiences of being trafficked, being coerced. Um, so that was a very different story to the one we see in the media. Nor did they talk about labour exploitation. They talked about how hard work, but they didn't talk about themselves in terms of being exploited. Um, in Vietnam, um, our research showed that um, migrating to the UK to actually to grow cannabis was not seen as, as a sort of illegal, as an illegal strategy, but rather a quite a commonplace labour labour strategy. Um, so that was really interesting. So I'm just gonna, I'm just going to skip along. Um, a key point I want to say here is that I'm not denying that trafficking, um, severe forms of exploitation and slavery does take place in the UK and has been experienced by Vietnamese migrants. But what this research does show is that this is not the only story. Um, and these people should not be our only concern. Um, we need to review more carefully the appropriateness of policies that seek to so-called protect um, these victims. And I want to just sort of, um, quite fleetingly in some ways, sort of outline the problem with the modern slavery agenda, is that it, it you know, for most of us encountering it for the first time, think, oh, okay, it's a really good sort of, um, uh, really good intention to protect people who've been exploited, to protect them from slavery. However, there's quite a few problems with the modern slavery agenda in its execution and also its conception. Um, and this links to the broader capitalist economy and how we think about the broader capitalist economy. And that is, is that the modern slavery agenda um, is based on this idea that exploitation in the capitalist system is exceptional. Um, and that is the extreme forms could be cocooned off. That We have these exploitation that happens over here um, that could be dealt with and could be tackled and the problem is solved, okay? Far from that, what we know is that actually exploitation happens everywhere uh, on a whole spectrum um, of, of relations in the capitalist system. 
And, it's actually, and, and some uh, scholars actually argue that, that Western labour market liberalisation is actually complicit with modern slavery. Um, and some people argue that actually modern slavery agenda itself um, simply acts as another arm of the immigration system. Yeah. And actually what it's been shown to do is to be uh, very strong on law enforcement, but very weak on protection of victims. Um, I also wanted to just say briefly that what we see is that you know, in the UK, we've got, very de we've got a very deregulated labour market that encourages shadow economy uh, sectors such as the cannabis industry and low-wage labour um, that's in a high demand. You know, think about the nail shops and how we're very happy to consume very cheap nail services. Um, this is going to have an impact on the wages that people are being paid to do and who's willing to work for those sort of low wages. Um, and so this is the whole thing of sort of ignoring um, our complicity in sort of the production of modern slavery. Um, so very quickly, just going back to the Essex 39, um, how did they die? Who was responsible for their deaths? Um, these people were navigating very, very strict border controls to enter into a labour market, labour market that's very liberal and that's, that is in demand of, of this labour. Um, there is currently no legal route into the UK for low-skilled Vietnamese migrants to work, but a very strong demand for their labour in the UK. Um, the focus was very much on the evil traffickers who trafficked them into the UK, but ignoring um, the sort of broader structural um, conditions that invite and draw in uh, migrants to work and to be exploited, but at the same time punish them at the borders in very severe ways. Um, so I think we shouldn't be just focusing on individual traffickers who are just a link in, a link in the border system. Um, and I'll finish there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tamsin. I think uh, your talk really complimented Tina's about this idea of crime Speak and up. immigration <laughs> and um, how these are categories constructed for state security. And I also um, wanted to note the rescue raids in particular because probably people in this room know that uh, Guardian journalist Amelia Gentleman, who reported and broke the story of Windrush, also accompanied a um, rescue raid of a Vietnamese nail salon recently. Uh, and I think this is one of those examples where all of these logics combine and the media is also complicit in perpetuating these logics, even under the guise of like objective reporting. And I also like how you kind of complicated the idea of choice and how, you know, all of our choices every day are, you know, conditioned by many factors, including our own like personal preferences and to exceptionalize people because they are racialized, gendered in different ways is also drawing into the logics of all of these things that lead to people's deaths. Um, so we're gonna open it up for questions now. Um, if anyone has any questions. I can also start <laughs> if any. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, um, so as DICON and in SDS, um, a lot of us work uh, between communities, so between different racialized communities, and you've each touched on the Vietnamese, Chinese communities, but I just um, wanted to ask all of you, like, what is the relationship between uh, Vietnamese, Chinese, other East Asian and Southeast Asian migrant communities in the UK, um, whether there have been efforts to mobilize um, together, and also what is 
like if there have been other efforts to mobilize um, in solidarity with um, other migrant communities, especially black and Muslim communities, South Asian communities also um, against this structure historically and now. And yes, I, I like to stop. So, so I think currently we do see the communities here is kind of more divided and segregated instead of we see this meaningful solidarity or this organic solidarity being formed in any means. Um, so one thing, if I may take from uh, what Bob, Dr. Barber just said, I think we should probably one main we can see this is from the uh, structure structure uh, perspective instead of the race of the, the, the what we call the ethnicity based uh, categorization which is someone actually put on us instead of we our own identity the one way I, I see this would be I think to bring back the concept of class would be very useful or we see the even see the the, the so-called the passport, the nationality, the ethnicity we attach with, to see it from the core and periphery instead of from the country. Because China is quite a big country. If you think about those big cities, mega cities like Beijing, Shanghai, and comparing to people from a remote village or from the less developed places, the, the probably someone from Shanghai would be more close or sharing the same uh, similar, similar experience with people living in London or New York. So, that's one way I've seen is bring back the class who are who are the most in powerful and who are those in uh, being exploited, and and who um, the depo deployability, the employability, and all these words being 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 framed together and being put on us, and also seeing in terms of core and periphery who are on the core of the power probably Shanghai, London, New York, Paris, and who are on the periphery. I mean, uh, those boys who are exploited for county line in this country, they're very much another form of modern slavery. We all know that. So that's one way of the, I'm, I'm seeing this problem of how the solidarity can be uh, merged through those who are powerless, who are marginalized, who are targeted. Yeah, whoever you are. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think I think the really Chinese community or East Asian community in this country has uh, benefited a lot from the uh, the bread and Asian communities uh, struggle, uh, and uh, um, many of our own community leader of the Chinese community like to perpetrate a uh, uh, um, a view that the Chinese community are placid people with non-violence. We do not like, uh, we are unlike the bread or Asians uh, for very few things. We will just go out and throw stone and we are nice people different from others. But that is the kind of, of I would call it survival strategy uh, of um, the early uh, arrival of our community in the 50s and 60s, very much because that they do not have the skill and the ability to connect with the wider community. Their economic environment are very self-contained. Unlike the bread of Asian, many of, many of them came in the windwash or all, all these are uh, go straight into the mainstream society and facing racism from day one when they arrive. So in a way that uh, um, our community grow in a different path. 
Our computer grow in a path of so-called quote-unquote self-reliance, which we like to perpetuate. Uh, is the beauty of our greater culture of Confucianism or whatever they like to call it, right? But in reality, we are forced by the same reason, the, the racism in employment, because you can't speak the language, because you have the qualification, but don't recognize here, and tough, but you have to find your own, uh, 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 own environment to survive. And, and uh, so very much for the first generation, Chinese in Asia and in 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 East Asian in here are very marginalized in their own community businesses, very much cut off from the mainstream community. And uh, I can say from my experience, I worked in this field for more than forty years, right? And uh, for the first uh, fifteen years, uh, there is certain level of Chinese sovereignism, right? In the sense that. We open a childhood, we, we apply for funding to a Chinese community center, only serve the Chinese community. There's plenty of problems for us to solve in the Chinese community. Uh, so uh, we don't identify ourselves associated with other communities. Uh, and uh, when other communities came to the door, um, the better one would say, uh, introduce our experience, go to the, uh, the, 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 the Curriculum Council, go to the council, how to apply for funding, and help them to to do organize, right? And uh, I felt very excited at the Dover Future and 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 well, before the the, the foot and mouth campaign, uh, the Dover Future and more came. Uh, in that, I have a lot of people who are working to, uh, to together, not just from China or Hong Kong, but from Malaysia. Uh, from Singapore, from Vietnam, right? And uh, local one, are so excited, uh, excited huh? but they're all Chinese diaspora, right? And only in the last few years that I have started seeing, I, I feel encouraged, huh? is that with the second generation of East Asian uh, grow up in here, born, grow up in here, they start to realize whether you're Chinese or not, right? Because Chinese uh, occupy and have such a large population, uh, when they face racist attack, uh, they all brand you as Chinese, right? Even today, uh, you, some of the you probably experience uh, of what happened outside uh, about the coronavirus, right? The target uh, as Chinese, right? But when they see, you have see on news report, you have Korean, you have Thai, uh, 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 and Japanese are uh, being attacked. Uh, uh, and ask them to bring the virus back to uh, back home. They are not Chinese, right? So our fate are tied tied together, right? We benefit. I think we need to le learn from the Asian and the Black community that when they struggle, they don't struggle for Jamaica. Uh, 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 they don't struggle for Nepal, uh, um, right? They struggle for Asian community and the black community. Uh, identity politics is double-edged sword. Right? We can become so uh, proud of our identity huh, that becomes uh, xenophobic. Right? And that's, uh, but then identity politics uh, do give us uh, 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 the strength right, to share experience uh, and that, uh, to use that experience to work together and form alliance. Uh, that 
not only amounts to uh, the Chinese Asian, I think the Chinese Asian community and Asian community need to work together as the East Asian community uh, and then uh, form alliance with the black, with Asian. Uh, and of course, of all these community are also need to form the alliance together uh, to fight the class struggle uh, that Tina mentioned. And I think for the Hadley Chinese Center, we are start the, the, the path, not very successful at the moment, but that is the path that we are developed and we see our vision and we would like to see that as a way to go forward. And we allow uh, uh, working with the council in Hadley want to make a building to become a resource center for this Asian. So I'm really happy to see a lot of second generation East Asian are working together here and by looking at you, I don't know whether you're Chinese or whether you are Vietnamese. Does anyone have questions about like to ask? I was wondering, um, have, have Chinese activists have tried to organize with other Black and Asian communities and what's this obstacle doing? Uh, I think for the Black community and Asian community, they have a, a wealth and experience and history of, of struggle here. And uh, I have uh, I have taken part in their campaign uh, in the, some of their struggle, uh, and uh, they they are very well organization, uh, very organized. Uh, they take the lead, and uh, um, we have worked with them. So I, I, I and some of my colleagues have, uh, have worked with uh, some of them very closely in other campaigns. And in fact, uh, when I worked for the uh, the Minchun, uh, the Minchun was actually um, initiated from an Asian community organization, the monitoring group, uh, which uh, at the time, the, uh, the Chinese community do not recognize we have problem of racism. Uh, and when I said earlier that we benefit a lot from the Black Nation community, is that for, our, for the, the world of Minchun, uh, I, can, I can clearly say that we benefit from, this, benefit from the struggle of the of the Stephen, the Stephen Lawrence campaign, right, which we saw with the McPherson report, right, have first time recognition of institutional racism, have definition of what is racist incident, and uh, I at least, and a lot of my colleagues uh, at the time, uh, uh, learned from that, and, and when we see, for decades, we see we see our uh, Chinese restaurant Chinese takeaway every weekend. Have someone throw stuff at the, at the window. Someone go in and uh, eat and run, and uh, we just say, "Oh, these are uh, hooligans. These are uh, just uh, just youth uh, youth nuisance, right?" And then when you have def definition, uh, start to say that racism is victim perception, and that when repeated incident, right, where the People explicitly or not explicitly, uh, repeated with with victimization of a place in itself is a racist attack. Then we start to realize uh, this Chinese takeaway every weekend for being repeatedly attacked. Uh, that is a racial incident. Uh, and that coincidentally, uh, because of that, we start to have that realization. Uh, we also experience racism. Uh, on a blatant state every day, every week, and yet our community not deny uh, 
and that is how uh, uh, how we experience. That is why uh, I think uh, it's important for us uh, to work with others and learn from them uh, and form bigger alliance. Um, have you noticed any differences in the ways that the public and media and community organizations have reacted to uh, Dover, Borkham Bay, and the most recent example? I think you identified many similarities, but are there any differences, do you think? I said earlier that there's already difference uh, in the report of Morgan Bay in the beginning. Uh, uh, beginning of Morgan, uh, sorry, in, in between Dover and Morgan. In Dover, right, they start by saying that these are illegal immigrants, right? But at the Morgan, right, they haven't used that term once, I recognize. I noticed, right? They, from day one, they used uh, migrants uh, uh, were killed, right? And uh, that is a slight improvement. <laughs> if we, I think we're too easy to satisfy, right? And and that has showed the so the shift uh, the shift in in uh, in, in media uh, is that I think the more came in particular uh, that make them realize that the media world knew very little about the Chinese or East Asian community in particular Chinese community, right? And that is why after that uh, you start to see uh, well I actually been approached uh, by. Uh, 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 quite a few, the, both the BBC and Channel Four, right, have put aside money, uh, uh, and uh, to 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 do a program specifically about the development of the Chinese community, and I've taken take part in one of those, right. So that also uh, become a learning process. I think to be fair, uh, I always say this: the media have uh, we said media has an agenda, right. Uh, media in general has an agenda uh, that are uh, reflecting the the political climate at the time. If they, you can call that an agenda, right? But then uh, equally, uh, media uh, have certain certain uh, path and development that uh, so-called professional professional ethic uh, they need to follow. And uh, well, for example, uh, based on fact, based on evidence. And that uh, equally, there's been an absence, right, of Chinese or Asian community narrative to fit into this conversation, right? That uh, all we heard about uh, were, were um, um, biased imaginary narrative, uh, most likely from film or, or a story, uh, rather than from real life. Uh, so. I would say the media all is learning, uh, need to continue to learn this, uh, and, 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 and the absence is clear in our community. Uh, that in particular, when the dominant voice uh, has been perpetuated stereotype from our own communities, uh, that is a bigger challenge that we, to, uh, we, uh, we need to look at is to, to tell the media, look, uh, I always have this saying, it's very easy to be a Chinese community leader. I am a Chinese community community leader, but because not because I'm being elected, because nobody in Chinese community talk uh, most hot rubbish, right? When they see someone that's taught some sense, they come to talk to me, 
right? When they come to talk to me, and they thought, oh, I can't report, I talked to a Tom, Dick, or Harry in Chinese community. I have to put down, I talked to Chinese community in the JV's name. Here you are. Right, and that's what happened. Uh, so every one of you can be a community leader. Speak up, right? Uh, be honest. Say what you have, uh, what you see it is. Well, I mean, um, I hasn't said on the previous question, but yeah, maybe so we didn't. Yeah, I don't know whether you want to s me to say anything about that. But it, I mean, I think probably the the inclusion of the word trafficking has been a you know big change in the treatment. It was very interesting how the the Vietnamese. Um, people were presumed to be Chinese uh, straight away. So, I mean, be yeah. based on that legacy, yeah. you know, racial stereotype, mm -hmm. they must be Chinese. And then they were Vietnamese, and oh, wow, you know, and then that was a shock. And then, of course, the immediate links then with the, uh, the cannabis industry and the illegal migrants came out very strongly. Um, so, you know, and I'm trying to remember um, back to the Morecambe Bay coverage. It was still at that time, you know, it was about the gang leaders. Mm. It was about, yeah. you know, it was a focus on the, the, the criminal networks, the eth mm. ethnicized criminal networks. That's what I thought, thought was particularly distinctive with the 39 coverage was that, oh, this, so Viet oh, Vietnamese people, oh, they're involved in, this, you know, illegal trafficking. So that must be very distinctive to the, eth to the Vietnamese community. This is, you know, across the board. This is, you know, a global phenomenon. This is not just about the Vietnamese community and what's happening in Vietnam. Although, of course, you know, it, in this case, it, you know, it is, but, but it, this is not a Vietnamese problem. And I think that was the, that was the thing that was uh, distasteful, distasteful in my view in the coverage, that this was somehow, uh, a Vietnamese problem rather than a UK problem and a global problem. Mm. Um, and we know that you know many migrants sadly die in back of lorries coming over to the UK every year. Um, but it's just that we happen to find a lorry full of Vietnamese yeah. migrants. Um, and so there's some very sort of narrow framings of, of, the, of the event, I think. Yes, uh, it's very disturbing for me. Um, it's about when they were firstly uh, kind of identified as Chinese. Most of the questions I've got from the media is all framed in a way of China is uh, now is the second economic uh, body in the world. Why are people still risking their lives? Uh, um, they're uh, coming on the back of a lorry um, and have such a tragic case. And while it turns out later their identity has been confirmed as Vietnamese, you can certainly almost like, because I was quite um, being uh, exposed to the media at that time, so it can felt that cool down of the incident because they have that like certain moment saying, well, Vietnamese, like nothing, it's almost like they normalize the situation about economic migrants moving from a poor area to the UK, but nothing. Mm -hmm nothing about that they just you can feel that like very uh, in a shocking way about like it's almost like that realization of their whole agenda is about china under such circumstances in today's society still got people migrating in a way that would be a news and now it's not the news so it's very disturbing mm -hmm. and in the meantime i also experienced the disparity between the western media and also i was approached by some chinese media at that time and I, uh, I'm not, I didn't accept any Chinese uh, media uh, inquiry or anything. And they suddenly uh, pinpointed me saying, why you don't want to share your expertise knowledge with your fellow citizens? So it's also a shock. Like they, later on, they learned out they were, those are Vietnamese. And they also criticized, like, we know, we told you. I mean, with such an economic body, there's no people going to risk their lives doing this. It's like, 
So this is how the two uh, media in mm -hmm. the UK as well as in China portrayed this case. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And I think just a couple of notes to end on that we didn't manage to discuss, but hopefully you can think about is also like broader, the global political economy. And even in our discussion today, it's been quite like Chinese centric, but we also want to recognize um, Chinese and Vietnamese, I guess, centric, not, not but I want to recognize that, uh, like, of course, particular Southeast Asian communities in particular are marginalized and erased from already kind of silenced narratives. And so we want to be aware of that. And also, hopefully, the rest of the day, we'll be talking a little bit about um, relationships between uh, racialized communities and tackling things like anti-blackness, Islamophobia um, in producing more meaningful solidarities in our future panels. Um, but thank you, everyone. Um, thank you for your questions and for your interest in the topic and for our speakers for sharing so much um, history and information with us all. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. thank you for listening to the first in our series of podcasts, Remember and Resist, Borders, Solidarity and the Essex 39. We have two more podcasts to release from this event, as well as some individual interviews planned. To stay updated, please follow Daikonzine, that's D-A-I-K-O-N, on social media, or drop us an email at rememberthesx39 at protonmail.com. Take care, and thanks again for listening. Remember the Essex 39.